This morning we're kicking off, we're continuing the kickoff series, and we're talking about better community. Um, and as I was thinking about this and preparing, there are so many different communities that we could have keyed in on. But the heart of why we're talking about better community is as part of kickoff, for everyone who maybe is new to tuning in or haven't heard this before, some of you have heard me talk about this, so for some, this is refresher, this is review, for some, this is brand new stuff, and my hope is that you get a hold of the vision and the mission and the dream and decide to be a part of it. That's the goal of this morning, that's the goal of next week and as we move into this new season of ministry. Um, but as you know, our theme verse, if you will, for us as a church, not just for the year, but the verse that has kind of been directing us um, for the last number of months and will continue for the next number of years is Ephesians 4.12. It says to, the, the ro- Paul's role was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so this is really the epitome of everything that we are at one church. Number one, to equip you as the saints, anyone who has declared Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and is day by day working out their salvation, you are considered to be a saint. So my job as your pastor, our job as the church is to equip you to do the ministry, not for you to pay me to do it, okay? There's a difference. So I am here to give you all the tools, all the resources, everything you need to succeed to do the work of the ministry But along with that, to build up the body of Christ. And we, back in May, we went through Ephesians 4, and all around Ephesians 4.12, there's all of these great community-minded verses that are like, this is the expectation of a community of faith. This is what it looks like for us to be a church. And so we're going to continue on with that, but we're not going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at a different passage. Like I said, I was trying to think of a community that, as I look back on my life, has been something that I look back on with favor, with excitement, with fond memories. As so one of the ones that comes up is my Bible school dorm. For anyone who has done any kind of extended dorm life, you know the fellowship and the support. And well, so my dorm at Briarcrest was called the Zoo. And we had earned that name quite easily. Um, so we're called the Witu Zoo. Uh, and so as crazy as we were, and as much as we waited for the resident dean to leave for the night so we could do some really crazy stuff, um, I, I, as I think of all the stories and the pranks, and as I retell some of those memories, I still remember every one of those the names of those guys. I remember all of the things that we did, and every time I tell a story, I always go back to Facebook, and I'm like, hey, I wonder how this guy's doing. What has he gotten himself into these days? You know, is he still as crazy as he was, or is he kind of like mellowed out? Um, but I love dorm life because it didn't matter what walk of life you were, it didn't matter what year you were in, it didn't matter where you were in your faith, it didn't matter if you were a jock or a weirdo, <laughs> hello, um, you fit. You fit in this group, you fit in this family, you fit in this 
this brotherhood for the men, but we also had a sister dorm, so every guy dorm was matched up with a girl dorm, and so we do like dorm things, and it was like, we took pride in our sisters, we, we watched over them, you know, someone's like getting too close, or, you know, like a big brother would, you step in, and you're like, are you good enough for my dorm sister? The other community I think of, and I think we could all kind of relate to this one, well, most of us, I think, is the, the community of rider fans, Okay, like that is a community, and that is, you know, we call ourselves the zoo. That's a whole other ball game. When we go to a rider game, let's be honest, three quarters of the experience is not the game. It's the crowd. It is the screaming and the yelling, and I can think of how many times I've gone to a rider game, and my throat hurts, and I'm like, I'm not going to cheer. Yeah, right. Everyone else around us is losing our minds, and there's a reason it's called home field advantage. There's a reason you want to, no team wants to play in Saskatchewan. But it's all about being a part of something bigger. It's all part, it's all part and parcel of this idea that as God identified in Genesis, we are not meant to be alone. We are meant to be a part of a community. We're meant to be part of something bigger. Um, and so we're going to unpack what does a community of faith look like in 2021? As I said last week, we're going to get back to asking the questions throughout service. So question number one, what is a group or a community that you've been a part of in the past that you absolutely loved? I talked about the dorm life. I still look back, and I mean, it's not to say that dorm life didn't have its struggles, didn't have its hardships, but dorm life, I still look back and I think of all the good stuff. I only remember the good stuff. And so what is a community? Uh, it doesn't have to be a faith community. It could be business. It could be a sports team you're a part of. What is a group or a community that you were a part of that you look back and you're like, oh, man, I miss those guys. And maybe you're a part of it, and you're part of a community like that now, and you're like, I can't imagine life without these people. I can't imagine where I would be if I didn't have this, this support system and this prayer group or whatever it is. I can't imagine where I would be without this group. Um, and it could simply be your family. It could be. Be a little more creative when we get together in small groups this week. And, you know, but, you know, it, your family could be that group. You're like, I, <laughs> I love my family. And some of you don't. That's fine. <laughs> I understand. Anyways, before I park too much on that, um, yeah, so think about what is a community, and I think the, the one thing I want to just, as you think about that, why? Why is that community so important to you? Why is that community um, so influential, such a fond memory? Why is it that you want to hold on, and why has it been so hard to have not be a part of it anymore? With all that said, we're going to go to Acts 2, starting in verse 42, so if you have your Bible, you can go there. If you've got the app, this will cue you and everything. Um, but when it comes to the church community and we look back at the early church, every, the way Luke describes this community made it sound like this was the gold standard. And every time any, any biblical author after Act, Acts 2 talked about church, everything tied back to what it was like in the early days. And we're going to see that. I'm going to tie different verses together and see that, oh wow, this was actually the gold standard. So anyways, Acts 2, starting in verse 42. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So Luke starts off, he said, so this is the thing, and he lays out four major characteristics that, I, that this made up this group. And then he kind of takes the rest of the passage and he unpacks what these four characteristics looked like, how they were applied. But there is four things that built this church and made it so flourishing and healthy. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, before we get too far into the idea what, they, what that means, I want to park on that word devoted. Now, devoted is a heavy word in today's day, right? If I say I am a devoted athlete or devoted, you know, that's, that's a lie. Anyways, um, <laughs> if I'm devoted to health or I'm devoted to seeing you guys grow, or I'm de- right? Like, devoted is different than committed. Devoted is different than... Um, it, devoted just carries a weight. But when Luke writes this word, in the original Greek, the word that is being translated is actually more accurately translated as existed. Their very existence hung on, the, and we're going to see they were devoted to all four of these things. Their very existence, they were identified, they couldn't imagine life without these four things. Their life revolved around it. They existed for the purpose of, and for the first one is, they existed simply to take in the, the apostles' teaching. They were so devoted, they were so committed, that any time the apostles were teaching, they dropped everything to come to it. They were always there. Anytime there was an opportunity to gather and to hear the John, remember everyone's in Jerusalem right now, so John and Peter and All of the apostles are together, and every time they stepped up, they hung on every word. They needed it. It sustained them. And because they were so committed and their existence hung on their commitment to this teaching, they said signs and wonders were appearing among the people. Because when the apostles said, you are healed, they believed it. They hung on it. They're like, oh, yes. That when the apostle said that God was going to intervene, they believed it and hung on to it. They, their lives revolved around the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the teaching. Number two, they're devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were devoted to being together. And Luke talks about this. He says that you, they got together day after day, going to the temple together. They were... <clears throat> They were always, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Now, all too often we say all things in common. We talk about finances. The, we, had, you know, we, had the bank, we had a common bank account in the commune kind of thing. But that's not what Luke is actually talking about. When Luke says they had all things in common, we think of the story in Corinthians. When Paul's talking about how we as believers are part of the body, And when one part hurts, 
the whole body hurts. And when one part is celebrated, the whole body celebrates. That's what it means to have all things in common. When one has something to celebrate, we all get together to celebrate it together. When somebody is hurting, we rally together and we hurt together. When we have all things in common, it means all of the good we are celebrating and joyous and happy and praising God for all of the good. And, when all, and it means having all of the bad in common and saying that when hurt happens and when life isn't going our way, we all come together, we band together, and we pray and we petition to God and we do whatever we need to do to make the hurt go away. Right? That's how our bodies work. When something hurts, we compensate. You know, we get a limp, and then something else starts hurting. And like that is, but that's, that's the body. And Paul says, and Luke says, this is what it looks like. That's what it looked like. When one part hurt, every part hurt. Because when they're talking about the finances and saying they're selling their possessions, they had all things in common, and they, they rallied together to meet a need, it wasn't just talking about the community of faith. They're actually talking about that anybody in Jerusalem, any neighbor, anybody who was disconnected from this faith community, when they heard there was a need, they sold all their stuff, and they met the need for those who didn't even share the faith with them. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would heal those who were not following him we're not faithful to him jesus forgave those who were riddled with sin and separated from him and so the church continued that and they said we see this need in our community we see this need in jerusalem and we're going to do whatever it takes we're going to sell whatever possessions we need to sell to help meet this need but they were committed they were devoted their existence hung on the fellowship, and the coming together as a community of faith. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. It says that when they got together day after day, they came together and they were joyous, they were generous, and they received it with happiness. It means that they didn't just put out like a box of appetizers from co-op, right? When they got together, it was a spread, and everyone was happy that they showed up. Everybody was thrilled to be a part of it. And this is why Paul talks about, in Corinthians again, how when these feasts were happening, what was happening in the Corinthian church was that the rich people were eating all of the good stuff and leaving the scraps for those who didn't bring anything. So the poor were missing out, and the poor actually started to hate these feasts. And Paul's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. Look at the Acts church. Look at the way it was meant to be. Everyone came, everybody was generous, and everybody was happy to be there. Because there's something that happens when we sit down around a meal. It's more than just eating food. There's relationship that happens. There's openness that happens. There's sharing that happens. There's, there's more community built around food than when we do most anything else. So they were devoted to breaking bread. And not just having, you know, that little wafer and that shot of juice. No, it was actually breaking bread, having community, eating a meal together. And they devoted themselves to prayer because ultimately at the end of the day, their one major thing that they were devoted to was God. They were committed. They knew that every, 
their salvation didn't just, their commitment to God, their devotion on God, their reliance on God didn't just stop at salvation. Thank you, God, you took away my sin, I got it from here. No, they recognized that if I needed God to take away my sin, I needed God to help me with my family, I needed God to help me with my business, I needed God to help me with my finances, I needed God to keep me healthy, I needed God to do it all. And so they were committed to prayers, they were devoted to prayers, their very existence hung on being together and praying and bringing everything about their life to God. And it wasn't just private, in-the-closet kind of prayer, but it was the community of prayer. So when there was a prayer gathering called, everyone came, everyone flooded. And this is, a rep, this is a reflection of what we saw in Jesus. When we read through the Gospels, before any major event, the Gospel writers would record that Jesus would separate himself, and what? He would pray, and then something amazing would happen. Jesus would pray, and something amazing would happen. And so the apostles saw this in Jesus, and they replicated it in the church, saying, if we want the same success, if we want to see the same move of God in our own lives, then we have to be dependent and reliant on prayer. And all throughout Acts, the model continued. Every massive story Luke tells in Acts always starts with somebody on a roof somewhere praying, having a vision, talking to God, and preparing themselves for what was going to come next. They devoted themselves to prayer. So the question is, as we walk through those four things, which of those four things stood out to you the most? Of the four, fellowship, apostles' teaching, prayer, and breaking of bread, which is the one you're like, yeah, I need more, I could get more of that. Or I understand why that was so important to them. As I was writing the question, it wasn't even one of the four things that stood out to me. It was this idea of how deep their devotion to them was. That word devoted just took on a whole new meaning and it changed the whole passage for me. But for you, what were one of, which one of those four things stood out to you the most? Like, wow, they were really, they were really invested in this thing. So that's all good and fine, and okay, that was then, that was over 2,000 years ago, good for them, but what does that mean for us today? How can we replicate it? Because this was, Luke is presenting this not just as this is how the church was, but this is being presented as this is the model of a healthy church. And we're going to look at why. If some of you are going to have been reading Acts 2 and like, hey, he left part of that out. Yes, I did. I'm saving it. Don't wreck it for everybody. Um... Luke is presenting this, that this is healthy, this church is growing, and so if this is the standard of health and growth, then how do we bring it? What are the eternal principles that we can bring to us today, and how can we model it in our own lives, model it in our own church, model it in our families to see the same growth and vibrancy that we read about throughout Luke's in the, Old, in the New Testament? So number one, the apostles' teaching. The thing to keep in mind as we read about the apostles' teaching is that for the early church, they didn't have Bibles. They couldn't just go home, you know, find it on the bookshelf, dust it off, and open it, and read the Bible stories for themselves. And they certainly didn't have a smartphone to open up the Bible app and look up anything that they needed at the time. The only copy of Scripture, there was no New Testament, and the only copy of the Old Testament was at the temple. Unless you were really wealthy, you could have one at home. 
because you probably learned how to read it, but the poor and everybody else, if they wanted to hear God's word, they had to go to the temple. But all of a sudden it changed when Jesus ascended and he empowered the apostles to do what Jesus had done because all of a sudden they knew Jesus. They knew who he was, what he taught, what he valued. And so they were the Bible for this early church. So they, that's why they were so committed to the apostles' teaching. Now we fast forward a couple thousand years. As much as I would love for you to hang on my every word like that, I don't expect it. Because we have the Bible. We have full access. You can read it anytime you want. You can read it in any translation that you want. But the key is we've got to be reading it. Because it's not just a matter of opening it up, get the check mark, I read my passage and I'm good to go. But like the early church, it's hanging on every word. It is taking it in as sustenance for your spirit, for your mind. The same way we depend on food, for our bodies, we need to rely on the spirit, or rely on God's word for our lives. To the point where if we miss a day, it's almost like we go through withdrawal. Like, I need it so bad. I need that teaching. I need that wisdom. I need that perspective so much that I can't miss a day because there's a recognition that no matter how good the world's wisdom is, no matter how good social media's wisdom <laughs> may be, um, God's wisdom is always going to be better. God's wisdom is, and because it's a spiritual book, you can read that thing a hundred times over and different things are going to pop out every single time because it's not just words on a page. It is the word of God and this Holy Spirit speaks to us through it and he highlights different things and he brings, because it always somehow, you crack that thing open and you read and no matter what's going on, it always applies. How am I in Isaiah and it is applying to my life today when the last time I read Isaiah, things were going way better and it's still applied? How does that work? Because it's not your ordinary book. But we need to be in it constantly. We need to be reliant on it in order to have those experiences. So reliance on the apostles' teaching may have changed, but it doesn't change the fact that we need to be, our existence needs to hang on God's word. The fellowship. The big thing Luke highlighted in the fellowship and the community that they built was that they did it day after day after day after day after day. And one of the problems we have in modern church is that the most amount of community we have is right here, right now. We have Sunday morning, we interact with these people that come and share my church, and then I have nothing to do with them the rest of the week unless you're in small group. This is why I push small group so much. Because community doesn't happen one day, one hour a week. Community happens day after day with intentionality, with time, with commitment. It is doing life together. It's not a matter of trying to get together as few times as possible and still call it church, but it's actually opening the doors and getting together as often as we can. Because, like I said, we are not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to do family alone. We're not meant to do these things alone. We need each other. We need the support of the community. And what better community to have than a faith community that has a common goal of drawing near to God and allowing the Spirit to speak to us and teach us and empower us and 
But community doesn't happen one day for one hour a week. And so small group is a big passion for us because it is, it's more than an hour, but it's a second time to get together with a group of people of common faith and talk about these things and pray together and celebrate together and build this community that God wants us to have. This is why all of our ministries, youth ministry, kids ministry, ladies, men's, is all around this idea of community. It's getting us together more often because when we get to church and we only see these people one Sunday, you know, one Sunday, one day a week, and then we wonder why we're not willing to open up about life's problems. I don't know you. I don't have community with you. I don't have relationship with you. So I'll talk about the weather, and I'll talk about the riders, and I'll talk about how the crop is going, but I'll keep it surfacey, I'll keep it shallow, and I never actually get the impact and the support that I really need. In the same way, they were committed, and they didn't let things get in the way. I think, I find it so funny, and I love the fact that everybody is here despite the mask mandate, and I know that there's some of you watching online that are here that are not here because of the mask mandate, and I'm not laying a guilt trip on you, but I am just saying that the early church never would have let something like a mask get in the way of getting together because they valued community above everything else. They were willing to put their lives on the line for this community. They were willing to go to jail. We saw it all throughout Thessalonians. They were so persecuted. They were beaten. They were being killed for this community, but they wanted it, and they, were, they determined that they were better off dying for the community than being separated from it. We want to see the church grow. We want, to be a, we want this community to be something that we're excited about. It's going to take more than one day a week. Number two, breaking a bread. This is easy. It just means potlucks, right? No, it doesn't just mean potlucks. Potlucks is a, <laughs> potlucks is a big part of it, and we're all happy. Yay, potlucks! Um, but potlucks is really just the start of what breaking of bread means. When Michelle and I were in Alberta, every year we'd go and be a part of a youth pastor's gathering, and there'd be 30 plus of us, and due to the nature of youth ministry, if you don't know, the average youth pastor lasts 18 months. That's it. Hopefully Mitch goes longer, okay? And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that he has success, and he feels welcome, and he is going to last... well, I would love for him to outlast me, okay? That, that's the goal. I don't want him going anywhere. But the average youth pastor only lasts 18 months. So the, the odds were when we would get to these gatherings, there would be a new youth pastor there, or there would be multiple. We're talking 30-plus youth ministries in Alberta. And so all of us got together, and we're like, oh, I don't know that couple. I don't. Where'd you come from? Oh, you were the kids pastor. Oh, that, okay. We'll ease you in. Um, but we had a rule at these things. We would have our sessions, we'd come and we'd listen and we'd pray and we'd worship together. And at the end of the session, the rule was that nobody ate, nobody eats alone. And that doesn't talk about the single guys who showed up. That means any couple did not go off and have a private date, but they would go off with two or three other couples. Because We've, we recognize that even though we're spread across the entire province of Alberta, we still needed the community of like-minded professionals, right? We were all youth pastors. 
the lead pastor very rarely understood what we were going through, but the other youth pastors did. And so we could talk to them, we could pray for them. But again, it didn't happen once a year. It had to be over a meal. Something amazing happens when we make the commitment to sit down with somebody and we, quote-unquote, break bread. We have a meal together. And it's not just the early church that knows this. It's not just the youth pastor in Alberta who figured it out. Alpha says this every single time, no matter what you're taking, whether it is the new believers class or the marriage class or what, every one of their classes starts in the same spot with a meal. Because something deep, it is not just food, something relational, something spiritual, something amazing happens when we take the time, we sit down, and we share a good meal together. And so they were committed to breaking of bread, to getting together day after day, and having this intimate, and in reality, this very spiritual experience together. And number four, the commitment to prayer. That at the end of the day, and this one just trans, transcends all of time. Because at the end of the day, as much as we need each other, as much as we need God's word, we need the, God's presence in our life. And we need to have those times of private prayer where we're getting quiet and we're allowing the God of the universe, the source of all wisdom and truth, to invade our lives and, ex- and talk to us and encourage us and discipline us in some cases we need but it's not just the private times there's a recognition that when we come together as a body as a corporate and we pray as one voice jesus said this when you get together two or three gathered in my name i am there with you So it's not just our private prayers. It's not just a commitment to daily going to a quiet place and getting, it is also a commitment to come together and to pray together and to be together in prayer and have this, we can't call ourselves a community of faith if we never talk to the God that we have faith in. I said that last week, I'll say it again. We need to be praying together. We need to, and we can't just make it awkward. I'll pray about that later in the week. No, I don't pray about it now. But again, that doesn't happen unless we have a community, unless we are building this group up to the point where we trust each other, we can be open with each other, and we can rely on each other to do exactly what we've asked each other to do. But that, again, that doesn't happen one day a week. And so these four things come together, and like I said, I have said this multiple times, and some of you are going to get tired of hearing it, but it is the truth. The reality is, is that healthy things grow, right? How do we know that our, something's wrong with our kids? They're not growing. How do we know, well, unhealthy things grow too. Point in case right here, okay? I know. But healthy things grow. Healthy things develop. Healthy things, and we see this in the early church. Remember that part I left out earlier? Acts 2, verse 47 It says that they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were having an encounter with the Lord Jesus and being rescued from their sin, rescued from the lies of the world, rescued from their addiction, rescued from fill in the blank, 
every day. And it wasn't, it didn't, doesn't sound like it's anything they were doing. What is this, what is this saying? It's saying that this group was so healthy, this group was checking all the boxes, that God was drawing people to be a part of this group so that they could get healthy, so that they could meet Jesus, so that they could be a part of something better than the world has to offer. It wasn't anything, we, we need to be outward focused. We need to be mindful of our community. We need to be mindful of Redverse and Carlisle and every community that we find ourselves in. We need to be aware of the needs and step in and meet. But when we are healthy, God draws people to us. Because people want to belong. People want to be accepted. People want truth and life and support and they want somewhere to go when life gets tough and they want to go somewhere to celebrate whenever there's news that a new kid is coming the parents do not keep it to themselves i'm not i am not telling anybody that we're having a kid yeah right soon as there's someone's pregnant we all know about it why because we want to celebrate we want to be together in the celebration so if we're healthy, God's going to draw people to us. And I know for some, for some people, that's like, I don't want that. I like my little group. I don't want more people. But the truth is, is that for us as a community of faith, it's not just about equipping. It's not just about getting healthy here so that we can be like, hey, good job, we're healthy. But ultimately, our goal and our mission and our vision is to see as many people in our community come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That every person has an opportunity to engage and embrace the Lord Jesus to experience the grace and the healing and the forgiveness that is found in Him alone. And so we want to be healthy not because not for ourselves. We want to be healthy because it's going to benefit somebody else. We want to be better because it's going to draw more people in. We want to see as many people, because this is God's desire, is that none would be lost, but all would come to a knowledge of the repentance and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. So we are healthy, not just for ourselves, but we are healthy because Carlisle needs us to be healthy. Because Manor needs us to be healthy. Because Arcola needs us to be healthy. Because Redverse needs us to be healthy. Because this is the spot that God has brought, dropped his presence, that God, that we engage the living God, and lives are transformed, and people are healed. And this is the ultimate goal. This is the work of the ministry, to see as many people come to know the Lord Jesus as, as humanly possible. So we need to be a better community. And so I close with the third and final question. What's your part in making this a reality? What are you going to do to help One Church become this healthy, thriving community that God describes for us so that we can be the influence and the example that our communities need us to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I pray for open hearts. And I pray for open minds. And I, as I said earlier, I pray for 
pray for us to be humble enough to just be willing to go wherever you ask us to go. To grow in the areas that you need us to grow. To be the church that you need us to be. God, I pray that we capture this idea, we capture the vision of the community that is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than our little group. It's so much bigger than staying where we're at, but it's growing and becoming healthy for the sake of others. I want to be healthy as a leader so that I can invest in everyone in the church so that they can, be, they can grow and they can be healthy. And in their health, they can encourage one another and sharpen one another, but also be, a, be your light in our community, in our workplaces, in our grocery stores, wherever it is that you would have us, God. Let us be the shining light for everyone that we encounter, whether it's our neighbor, our co-worker, or our family members, God. Challenge us this week. Show us where we need to grow. Show us where we need to get involved and planted so that we as a church can be this group that you've called us to be. God, I pray a blessing on everyone who's here. Be with us as we go. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.